We're going to be looking this morning in Acts chapter 19 and a message that I call uh, The Word of God Grew and Prevailed. And uh, this is taken from Acts chapter 19 in verse 20 uh, where the Bible says exactly that with the addition of the word mightily. So mightily grew the Word of God and prevailed. Mightily grew the Word of God and prevailed. Uh, now this passage is set in the midst of Paul's incredible ministry in Ephesus. Ephesus was a very prosperous, very prominent town. It was the capital of the province known as Asia. Ephesus was located in the country we know as uh, Turkey, modern Turkey. And uh, it was surrounded by numerous other churches that were part of the province. And Paul went there and began to preach the gospel there, and his ministry there was incredibly, incredibly blessed. In fact, the passage tells us, so mightily grew the Word of God and prevailed. And it reminds me of what happened in Acts chapter 11 and verse 19 and 20 and following, uh, when the Bible talks about those who were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen, traveled as far as Phoenice and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. Notice, and the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. And so Paul was having an incredibly blessed ministry in Ephesus. Like those disciples in Acts chapter 11, the hand of God was upon him mightily. Uh, how mightily? Well, verse 10 of Acts chapter 19 says this continued by the space of two years. Paul spent two years there. So that all they which dwelt in Asia, a whole province, a whole state we might call it, all those who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. And God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul, so that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons, and the diseases departed from them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Special. <laughs> uh, the word could literally be translated curious. Curious. Now, how many of you know this morning that every miracle is special? <laughs> every miracle is, that's ever happened was amazing. But when you talk about an amazing, amazing miracle, a curious, a special miracle, oh, that was something. What God was doing was very unique there in Ephesus. So much so that uh, they were taking handkerchiefs or aprons that Paul had worn and sending them out to sick people and those who were possessed of demon spirits and, and just those things that Paul had worn then were able to accomplish miracles. That's an amazing thing. See, in the setting of Ephesus, though, that had a specific meaning because in Ephesus there were a large number of people who were involved in sorcery. And they had the, what was called the famous Ephesian letters. These sorcerers could write you out a letter. It contained what we would call an incantation, something that you would say again and again and again. And they believed those things had great power. They were hugely expensive. 
Uh, they cost a fortune. But they believed that those letters then had great power and that these magic men could write these things out to you and you could say those incantations and carry those things with you and just incredible power then would be yours. You'd be able to win every victory, overcome every foe. The Ephesian letters. Well, I'm not sure whether the Ephesian letters ever did anything for anybody. I, listen, I don't sell the devil short. You understand what I'm saying? The devil has power. The devil can do a lot of things. But I know one thing. Where sin abounds, grace doth much more abound. And whatever power the devil has, the power of Jesus Christ is stronger. You remember back in the Old Testament when Moses was performing those miracles and the sorcerers of Egypt were able to duplicate them for a while. You remember that? But then there came a time where God left them in the dust. <laughs> God has left them behind. And they couldn't do those miracles anymore. Wasn't possible. Uh, why? Because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. And so here Paul was in Ephesus, a city renowned for their magic and their incantations and, and supposedly these Ephesian letters that would give power. <laughs> but there was the apostle Paul just pulled out a handkerchief and said, here, take this down to Aunt Bessie. She'll be all right. <laughs> and she was. <laughs> Every time I read that passage, I have to chuckle, and I just did it again because I wonder how Paul kept any clothes on. You know, you'd think that'd be... <laughs> oh, come on now. Just give me a little piece of your sleeve. I... Special miracles. It's really not funny, but it is kind of humorous. You just have to think about it a little. Special, special miracles. Well... The Word of God was spreading like lightning. Sometime when you read over in the book of Revelation, you'll see that the Revelation begins with messages to the seven churches of Asia. And, of course, the first one was the church at Ephesus. And if you look at those cities on a map, if you have a Bible map sometime, not now, but if you look at a Bible map and you'll see that they kind of sit like spokes on a wheel. Ephesus would be the hub and all those other cities Right around them, two years of ministry, the whole province heard the message of Jesus Christ. Paul was at Ephesus when he wrote the book of 1 Corinthians. And he said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 8, But I will tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost. Uh, by the way, in the Old Testament calendar, today is Pentecost. Fifty days after Easter or Passover uh, would be Pentecost Sunday. But I will tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost, for a great door, he said, and effectual is open unto me, and there are many adversaries. Folks, it's always been that way. It's still that way today. Uh, God was doing great things by the Apostle Paul. An incredible ministry was going on, but there were also incredible adversaries. And the Bible doesn't leave us to wonder exactly what those were. Paul would talk about how that he had fought with the beast at Ephesus. And we've often wondered whether he was saying that literally, if they didn't literally throw him to the lines. If they did, we don't know about it. But uh, we do know that he certainly carried on a terrible fight uh, with some people who wanted him gone. And we've had that record for us right here in Acts chapter 19, verse 28. Centered around a man named Demetrius. Demetrius was the head of the silversmith guild in that town. And uh, they made their living making images, idols, 
of the goddess Diana. If you read the King James Version, if you have a later version, it's called Artemis. Artemis is the Greek version, the same goddess. Uh, probably Artemis would be more accurate. Uh, Diana was the Roman version. Uh, but uh, the temple of Artemis or Diana was there in the city of Ephesus. It was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was world-renowned for how great it was. Inside was the rock that fell from heaven. That's mentioned in this text as well, they said. Uh, some claimed it was a meteorite, and uh, an image of this goddess. And they would make uh, little silver images of that and sell them. And people, of course, coming from all over the world to worship her. And it was very lucrative business, and certainly lucrative business there in Ephesus. Well, Paul's ministry after a couple of years had affected so much of that that the Silver Guild had to have a little meeting. <laughs> and he told them, he said, you know, this guy Paul is preaching against this and preaching some new God and everybody's believing in this Jesus and our, our business is in the tank. If we don't do something about that, we're going to be out of business. Well, they got mad. They started an uproar and they began to cry out, Great is Diana of the Ephesians in verse 28. And the whole city was filled with confusion and rushed into that huge amphitheater with one accord. They seized Gaius and Aristarchus, the Macedonians who were traveling with Paul, and drugged them there into that assembly. Someone tried to give a defense and they shouted them down for two hours. The Bible says they shouted, Great is Diana, great is Artemis. Great is Diana. Two solid hours. This huge crowd of people, we'd call them a mob, rushing into the amphitheater, shouting, filled with anger and confusion and ready to do violence. Paul wanted to go in. Of course he did. <laughs> they wouldn't let him. They knew if Paul went in that place, he'd probably never come out alive. They'd get a hold of him and they'd kill him. They wouldn't let him. They had to, I'm sure they had to drag him away. Can you imagine how bad Paul wanted to go in there and give a defense of Jesus Christ for that crowd? It didn't happen. We'll find out then how the story ends. They actually brought in a magistrate to put the thing down. Verse 39, uh, he would say to them at the end of Acts chapter 19, if you have any other inquiries saying to this mob, it shall be determined in the lawful assembly. For we are in danger of being called in question for today's uproar, there being no reason which we may give to account for this disorderly gathering. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. God, Paul said, there's a great door open unto me and there are many adversaries. We don't have to wonder what it was. People were stirred up by his preaching. Not everybody was glad to see the church established and growing and flourishing. They were not glad to, to see the power of the name of Jesus on such prominent display. And they set out to put a stop to it. But then we have that marvelous statement Dr. Luke put in the text. But the word of God grew mightily. And prevail. Mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. 
Now the question for us today and one I want to put, us, put before us for the most part in our message this morning is how exactly did the Word of God grow and prevail? <laughs> I mean, that's such an intriguing passage. And this is such an incredible ministry. I don't mind telling you that I've been praying for a long, long time uh, that the Word of God would grow and prevail. I'm praying for that for the United States of America, that the Word of God would grow and prevail. I'm praying that for the city of Cabot, Arkansas, that the Word of God would grow and prevail. I'm praying that for the state of Arkansas, that the Word of God would grow and prevail. You want to know why I'm praying that? Because I believe that America will be a better America if the Word of God grows and prevails. I believe Cabot will be a better Cabot if the Word of God grows and prevails. I believe Arkansas will be a better Arkansas if the Word of God grows and prevails. I believe in the power of the Word of God. I believe that the best thing that anybody can do, the best life that anybody can live is to live that life as a follower of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because we have Jesus Christ in our life. We know Him as our Savior. And we're living then according as best we can, though we all fall short. Amen? As best we can, though we all fall short, we live according to those principles. So how? <laughs> how did make that happen? How did it happen in Ephesus? It's no big surprise to you today of what's going to play out before us. The Word of God grew and prevailed, first of all, because the Word was preached and taught. <laughs> the Word of God is never going to grow and prevail unless it is preached or taught. Um, Acts chapter 19, verse 10 the Bible says that this, and what he's talking about is their teaching, how that he taught them daily, how that he preached it. This continued for two years so that all who, both Jews and Greeks. When we read the New Testament, we remember that news traveled at a walking pace. Uh, there was no 6 o'clock news, no internet, no Facebook, nothing. News traveled at a walking pace. And the only way you could hear of what was happening somewhere else if somebody came along and told you what it was, what had happened. And the only way that people were going to hear about Jesus Christ is if someone told them. That's what Paul talked about in the book of Romans when he asked the question then, how shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach? He said, except they be sent. How beautiful are the feet of those that preach the gospel. Because that's how the gospel traveled, <laughs> by foot. The Word of God then was preached. It was preached all over Asia as people, men. God called men, trained men, men who had studied under the Apostle Paul or upon the, under those who had worked with him, traveled around. People maybe were in town in Ephesus and they heard about Jesus and they would go back then to where they came from and share that message again and again. People heard about Jesus, learned about the truth of the gospel, and they went and shared that with other people. How does the Word of God then grow and prevail? It grows as people learn it, then as people share it with others. Now, I preached a few weeks ago about how uh, blessed we are to live in the time that we are because in a way, it's never been easier to share the truth of God's Word than it is right now. 
You've got a Bible study program. You're on Facebook. You don't even have to be sitting at your computer. You just carry that little phone, that little computer that you carry in your pocket all the time. You can read something, tap on it, share it on Facebook. And it might bless who knows how many other people when you do that. Listen, do you believe the Word of God's powerful? I do. <laughs> I do. If it blessed you, it can bless somebody else. If it means something to you, it may mean something to someone else. Put the Word of God out there. It does what it's always done. It is powerful. The Word of God grows then as we learn it, as we then share it with others. We preach it and teach it. That's what Paul was doing in Ephesus. I'm glad to say that that's what Faith Baptist Church is still doing today. You want to know what we're all about? We're all about singing and praying. But at the end of the day, we're about preaching. There's a reason why this pulpit's in the center of our church. You walk in here, you don't know anything about church. All you have to do is look at this pulpit and where it sits. Know that something important goes on here. Our whole architecture is designed because we believe that the preaching of the Word of God is valuable and primary Amen. to what we're about. Amen. We preach the Word. We teach the Word. That's what we are about as a church. And as long as we're about God's business, then the Holy Spirit is going to bless our business. Because remember, it's the Holy Spirit's book. It belongs to Him. We share it. How does the Word of God grow mightily? And prevail. It does it as God's people learn it and share it. The word was preached and taught. Second thing that we see in the text, how does the word of God grow and prevail? Well, the devil is subdued. Look, verse 11. God was working unusual miracles by the hands of Paul so that even the handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out of them. Ephesus was a center of demonic activity. When you look in the New Testament, you'll, all, you'll see a, a common theme, and that is that where idolatry flourished, the operation of the devil also flourished. Paul would write to the church at Corinth and warn them as he was discussing the whole concept of meat offered unto idols. And he would warn them that an idol is nothing. An idol is nothing. There are no false gods. But he would also tell them that the things that they participate in those idolatrous feasts, that the things that they offered, he said, they offer unto demons and not gods. There is something about idolatry, you see, that demon, the demonic world would infiltrate that. They would see somebody bowing down before a tree or a rock or a stone, and the demons would observe that and say, I can get this one easy. I can get this one easy. And they did. Demonic activity flourished where idolatry flourished. And you see that all over the New Testament. Ephesus, I've already told you, was a place where sor sorcery uh, was rampant and where demon spirits then were rampant. We'll see more about that in a few moments. But I just want you to remind you just real quick that the Word of God grew and prevailed. And when it did, you know, just a little handkerchief was all it took. And the spirits had to go. The devil was subdued. 
The devil has always been and always will be subdued by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the preaching and teaching of the word of God. How did Jesus resist the devil? The Bible says resist the devil and flee from you. How did he resist the devil? <laughs> he quoted the Bible to him. That's how he did it. Jude tells us that even Michael the archangel didn't bring a railing accusation. That is an arrogant accusation against the devil. But he said, what, the Lord rebuke you? Uh, that's the scripture. The Lord rebuke you. Wherever the gospel is preached, then wherever the word of God is proclaimed, the devil is going to be subdued. He knows it. That's why he hates it. So how does the word of God then grow mightily and prevail? Well, it grows as it is preached and taught. It grows then as the devil is subdued, put down. The third way then that we see in our text that the word of God grows and prevails is that imposters are exposed. Verse 13, some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists these were people who made their living, a lucrative living, supposedly fighting demon spirits, called themselves exorcists. The same of the, some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, we exorcise you by Jesus, by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Also, there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest who did so, and the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? <laughs> and then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them and overpowered them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. Quite a scene. Seven grown men overcome by one demon-possessed man. What a statement that is. Jesus I know and Paul I know. You ever wonder if you got a reputation in hell? <laughs> Paul did. Paul had one. Jesus I know. Of course I know Jesus. Paul I know. You see, Jesus wasn't just some magic incantation. He wasn't then. He's not today. The name of Jesus is not some magic incantation that somebody can recite. Listen, the power that they had was came, the power that Paul had came because Jesus Christ lived in them. And when Jesus Christ lives in someone, and then that someone then is able to proclaim the word of God, amazing things can happen. <laughs> but this old Jew didn't believe in Jesus. Didn't like Paul. He just thought he might make a little extra money by being able to do what they were doing. Didn't happen. Imposters were exposed. Listen, imposters are rampant in our world today as much so or even more so than they were in the first century world. They exist. They're around everywhere. Uh, we cannot look in the hearts of people to know whether anybody is saved or lost. You understand that, right? But we can see a lot of people who are still trying to pull off the same things that Paul did here in this passage. You won't have to listen long to... Uh, the televangelist world before you'll hear somebody offering you a handkerchief or prayer cloth. Send me $20, I'll send you one. 
Uh, Jason and I and Brother Bill, we all laughed not too long ago because there was a guy offering those uh, special prayer cloths to his people. We give all our people a prayer cloth when they come in, and it's going to protect them from COVID-19. It only costs $25. That's a small price to pay if it's going to protect you from COVID-19. I paid almost as much as that for these Lysol wipes. (laughs) Oh, you're not supposed to. I didn't breathe. I didn't pay $25. They were donated. But uh, I hope you understand what I'm talking about. Making a little fun. Imposters are everywhere, folk. They always have been. They claim to be able to maybe proclaim to you the truth of God, and they're not. And when the Word of God grows and prevails, this is something that happens. This is what does. This is what goes on. The Word of God is taught and it is preached. And when it does, when that, when it does and the, the devil is subdued, that's what it looks like when the Word of God is growing and prevailing. The devil is subdued and the false teachers are exposed for being what they are. There's nothing like good sound doctrine to expose those who aren't preaching it or teaching it. Imposters in were exposed. When the word of God grows and prevails in, number four, idolatry is abandoned. Verse 18, many, remember I told you about those Ephesian letters? And many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Also many of those who had practiced magic brought their books, there they are, the letters together and burned them in the sight of all, and they counted up the value of them, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver, the value of what they burned in a pile would be in the millions of dollars today. Millions of dollars worth of property. No, they didn't sell it on eBay. Uh -uh, Why? They didn't want anybody else having it. It didn't deserve anything except to be burned in the fire, and that's exactly what they did to it. Now, it's one thing when people make a profession, and that's a great thing. (laughs) But when they burn their old stuff, not sell it, burn it, it means a lot. Wouldn't you have loved to have been at that service where they brought in all of those valuable documents and piled them up and burned them? Wouldn't you have liked to have been there? Wouldn't you have liked to have heard some of those testimonies as these people talked about their days in idolatry and what they had been? And listen, idolatry was terribly degrading to humanity and the people who practiced it and the people who led in it were often used in horrible ways. We can only imagine what that testimony service was like as they shared about what idolatry had been to them, what idolatry had done to them, and how glad they were that they had found Jesus Christ and what a difference he had made in their life, what a service it was. That's what happens when the Word of God grows and prevails. We lose our concern about our reputation. And the only concern we have then is to glorify our Savior, Jesus Christ. And to be able to say, like the old slave trader Newton said, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. And how many people have been blessed by that man's testimony?
We're blessed by these people's testimony. And by the fact that it wasn't just words, but it translated into action. How big of an action? Well, it was such a big action that the silversmiths were having doubts about whether they're going to be able to stay in business. Wouldn't it be great if the Word of God grew so mightily and prevailed in our state that a lot of the peddlers of sin and smut just had to shut down? Amen. Wouldn't it be great? Nobody buying our stuff. All the pushers had to go somewhere else. Didn't have anybody to settle or sell their drugs to anymore. Gangs had to go somewhere else. There wasn't a, a business left to fight over anymore. That's what happened in Ephesus. The Word of God grew mightily and prevailed. How did it happen? Well, it was preached and taught, and people believed it, learned it, shared it with others. The devil was subdued. Impostors were exposed. Idolatry was abandoned. And last, churches. Not one church, but churches were established. We know obviously about the church at Ephesus. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. He would write later in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Churches were established. When Jesus Christ came, his promise to his people in Matthew chapter 16 he said to Simon Peter upon this rock, and that was Peter's confession. He had just said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he said, Therefore, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And Jesus talked about my church. And he still, Paul is writing about it here in Ephesians chapter 3, because Jesus intends, God intends for his church to be a place where he receives glory, where he is honored and glorified and praised and worshiped. And he does it through all generations. All generations. Oh, I could say a lot about that today. I'll just confine myself to a couple of things because I can't hold everything back, folk. I have to turn loose a little stuff. And all generations. Listen, church is intended, designed by God to be for every generation. It's not just for young people, not just for old people. It was never God's plan for us to divide up churches for all generations. Amen. I want to be a pastor of a church, and I am a pastor of a church where, uh, where kids can come, young people can come, and they can serve God and learn the gospel, hear the gospel. They can be saved and baptized, and, and they can bring their family then, begin to learn about the Bible. And that young person, that young family then can invite their great-great-grandma to church or their great-grandmother or their grandfather to church and they can come and sit right by them in the same aisle and worship God together. And they'll know then that their grandparents will be comfortable sitting by them. I want the same to be true. I want you grandparents and great-grandparents to be able to bring your grandchildren and know that they can sit right beside you and they can worship God and they're going to enjoy a wonderful worship experience as the music is sung and the Word of God is preached and you know if they'll open their heart, they'll get something out of it. 
Because the church is for all generations. I, I, well, I've got to stop on that one. That was. But the other side of that is, is that one generation, as I wrote this last week, one generation is always passing and another generation is always coming. That happens. It's been happening ever since Jesus comes. It'll happen till he comes again. Amen? And one generation passes, another generation comes up. We've preached it all my, I preached it all my life. God has children, but no grandchildren. And that means that there's no guarantee that another generation, they don't just inherit the gospel and inherit the truth. Well, my granddaddy was a, was a preacher. <laughs> At least one kid in this church today right now can say that. My granddad's a preacher. But the fact that your granddad's a preacher is no, no guarantee that you're going to grow up to know what the Bible says. Every generation has to learn it for themselves. They have to stop, start at ground zero, okay? Square one. They have to learn the ABCs and the one, two, threes of their faith. Every generation. And that's how the church keeps going as we pass it from one generation to another generation to another generation to another generation. That's why we have the truth today. Because it was passed just that way. And it continues on. And to him be glory in the church. Now somebody might say, and even if you don't say, I'll say it for you. Well, you know, I've read through Acts 19 and I didn't see a church mentioned there. And I'll admit that. We understand that Paul was not an itinerant evangelist. That is, he didn't just travel around and put on revival meetings. He was a missionary, and he planted churches, started churches, or tried to, everywhere he went. He didn't start a church in Athens, although there were a handful of people who believed there, and they may very well have formed into a church. It's just not recorded for us in the biblical narrative. But that was his goal. Everywhere he went, he preached the gospel. People got saved. They baptized them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then they taught them. How do I know they did that? Because that's what Jesus Christ sent us out to do. And we've been doing it ever since. That's what churches are. That's how churches keep going to all generations because we keep doing what Jesus told us to do. Make disciples. Baptize those who are saved. Teach them. All things that are commanded. But I want you to say, and I'm, I'm going to ask you all to listen very carefully because I'm going to do my best to speak carefully. Though my outline went trashed this morning and didn't, got lost in cyberspace. So I'm having to do this all by memory, but I'll still try to do it as, careful, as carefully as I can. Uh, there is a church in the passage. You see, the word church in the New Testament was not a new word that Jesus invented. Uh, the New Testament was written in the Greek language. It was translated many, many, many centuries later into English. But it was written in Greek, translated in many other languages as well. But the inspired writers wrote it in Greek. And the word that was used for the word church is the word ekklesia or ecclesia, depending on which pronunciation guide you use. And it had a very fixed meaning in their mind. It meant an assembly. Ecclesia is assembly. When Jesus said, I will build my church, he said, I will build my assembly. That's what he said. 
And the word ecclesia means assembly. And there is an assembly on display here in Acts chapter 19. It's there. You see, when uh, they gathered together, when Demetrius started hollering about how their craft was in danger and everybody got mad and upset and confused, they began to shout and gathered a huge crowd and half the people who gathered were confused because they didn't even know what was going on. They were just around to watch the show. Somebody's mad, we're going to see what happens. They grabbed up a couple of guys. Well, who are they? I don't know. There they are in the amphitheater, hollering and mad and confused. But when they gathered together, they were an ecclesia. They were an assembly. They weren't, don't, I'm not telling you they were a church. You understand what they were an assembly. You see, remember, assembly was something the, the Greeks knew well. They had them all the time. So, when he says, when you have any other inquiry, verse 39, to make, it shall be determined in the lawful assembly. For we are in danger of being called in question for today's upward, there being no reason why we may give to, uh, to account for this disorderly gathering. And when he said these things, he dismissed the assembly. You see, when they just gathered together up like that, they formed what we today would call a mob. A mob. It was not lawful. There was a lawful assembly. There was a lawful way for them to do these kinds of things, but what they did was unlawful, and so the city magistrate came in and sent them all home, and they all went. Stopped the gathering. But the word there is ecclesia. Ecclesia. Paul was starting a church in Ephesus. And that church would still be there in the New at the end of the New Testament when the last book of the Bible was written. The first church that Jesus talked to was the church at Ephesus. When Jesus pictured himself moving among the seven lampstands, the seven lampstands were the seven churches and he had seven stars in their hands, which are the angels, the messengers of those churches. That's Revelation chapter 1. Ephesus, the church at Ephesus, is still there. Over the last few weeks, these two usages of the term ecclesia have been very prominently put on display in the United States of America. Chief Justice Roberts issued an opinion Friday night in, the, in a rare late-night opinion issued by the United States Supreme Court, Chief Justice Roberts wrote the opinion. You can go to it online, read it for yourself. It denied the appeal of a California church who was appealing. They were a Pentecostal church. This was Pentecostal Sunday. They were planning a big celebration. They couldn't have it because they were restricted by numbers. They appealed to the Supreme Court. Chief Justice Roberts, in a 5-4 decision, Chief Justice Roberts sided with the four liberals on the court, and they denied the appeal. Uh, their appeal had been denied in lower court, it had been denied in appeals court, denied before the Supreme Court. 
And Chief Justice Roberts said, and you can read it for yourself, uh, he said that though the First Amendment to the Constitution says, and I can say it from heart, by heart, first line of the First Amendment in what we call the Bill of Rights says this, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. First line, First Amendment. And that came before the United States Supreme Court and a decision was issued Friday night. And his reasoning is as follows. He said, well, since the same that he granted that the rules in California were restricting churches from the exercise of their religious liberty, he said it was okay because the same standard was applied to movie theaters, sporting events, concert halls, and other large what he called secular gatherings. That was his reasoning. I would respond to that regardless of, 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 of the whole issue involved. You understand that when the Supreme Court issues a ruling, that sets a precedence. And from then on, that's going to be there. Justice Kavanaugh, by the way, wrote for the minority in response. You can read both. But his argument was that since they were closing down or restricting movie theaters and other things, then it's okay to restrict churches as well. I would respond, if it could ever do any good, this is the only response I have. I'm going to respond to you, okay? And to all of you watching online. The obvious problem with his logic is that movie theaters, sporting events, and other large gatherings were not given constitutional protection by our founding fathers. Right. Churches were. Right. Were. Now, whether you agree with the ruling or not, or whoever might agree with the ruling or not, whether you agree with churches meeting or not, that decision it's going to come back to haunt us. It will. Because they have declared that it is okay to restrict religious freedom as long as you restrict every other person, all these other groups. That puts us at a risk that we have not previously had to deal with in the United States of America. How it's going to play out, we'll all find out. But it's a serious deal. The other usage of the word assembly is often, has also been on prominent display for the last few days. Uh, right here in our own state, last night, uh, there was a demonstration, a group of people gathered together. I'm not going to uh, comment in any shape, form, or fashion on the validity of anyone's decision to demonstrate. Lawlessness and violence is unacceptable in this country. But the same First Amendment, by the way, gives us the right to peacefully assemble and to petition the government 
for the address of grievances. So we're not going to comment on that. But we will just bring to bear the fact that Acts chapter 19, by implication, is speaking of the work of the New Testament church because Paul was starting one. But it also brings up that other aspect of assembly. That is a public gathering or a demonstration or a march or a protest. What do you call a protest if nobody shows up? There's no name for it. What do you call a demonstration if nobody shows up to demonstrate? There's no name for it. What do you call a riot if nobody shows up to riot? There's no name for it. What do you call a mob if nobody shows up? You see, assembly is inherent. And the word that the Holy Spirit chose to use that we call church is an assembly. Again, I want to say it as carefully as I can. Have you heard one single person suggest to the demonstrators that perhaps they could just have one person stand in front of a camera and shout out whatever message that they wanted to shout out, cuss the police if they want to, because, listen, we have protected free speech, whether we agree with what they say. Put one person up there in front of a camera and let them scream out their message of hate and let everybody else stay at home and watch them on TV. Has anybody suggested that? A demonstration, a protest is not something you can do on Zoom. It's not something we can do over the TV. It's not the same. I'm not saying what I'm saying today in order to shame those of you who are sitting at home watching by TV. I know these are unprecedented times. I'm saying this to remind you there's a reason why that your pastor, me, keeps talking to you as much as I can about the assembly. I know how easy it is to form a habit. I know how easy it is to stay at home. I know it's risky to get out. But all I can do is ask you to watch those demonstrators. They're taking risk, and they're willing to take it. They're doing that for their own reasons. And going forward, I simply ask you to remember what a church is. And that our assembling is inherent in what we've done for a thousand generations. 
I want you to know I'm praying for you folks at home. I'm praying for you. I preached my heart out today. I preached my heart out the same way when there was nobody here. Nobody. Well, not quite nobody. Jason was here. Bill was here. And Mark was here. Preached the same way then. And that's because I believe what you're doing at home, folks, is important. I just wanted to remind you today that when the Word of God grows and prevails, these five things are shown in this text. The Word of God is learned and shared, taught and preached. It is. The devil is subdued. Imposters, imposters are going to be exposed. But in the end, churches are going to be established. And that's a part of what we do when the Word of God grows and prevails.